0: Hi, I'm Jonathan Groves, and welcome to the Cranmer Fellows Podcast. This is a podcast that explores pastoral ministry from an Anglican perspective. If you are a pastor, ministry leader, or an aspiring minister, I, along with my co-host Matt Kennedy, pray that this podcast will help equip and encourage you in your ministry to Christ Church. This podcast is an arm of the pastoral training program, the Cranmer Fellowship, at Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York. Church of the Good Shepherd is a congregation committed to following the Lord Jesus Christ and sharing the good news of His life, death, and resurrection through the study, exposition, proclamation, and application of His Word, the Scriptures. If you would like more information about the Cranmer Fellowship, Church of the Good Shepherd, or if you want to reach out to us about this podcast, please do so by emailing us at cranmerfellowship, at gmail.com. Now let's get to today's episode.
1: This week we're moving on to the next one, which is um, justification. And I know we talk a lot about justification, so this this is probably not going to be a huge uh, surprise to you, but we can talk about some of the we can talk about some of the ways that the Bible Uh, talks about justification, we can also look at some of the things that uh, those who don't believe that we're justified by faith alone say, and try to wrestle that out with with the Bible. Let's do start in uh, Romans chapter 3, which is, I think, one of the primary texts, we've looked at it many times, but one of the primary texts where you get this idea of justification by faith. guys get a worksheet or a, or, um, so Paul, all, and if you're in our you men's Bible study, we're going through Romans right now, and uh, I made the point before we get started that, that you can't just, um, Romans is one of the hardest books to, to understand, if you just kind of open it up and take a, a text out of context, especially that the first section of Romans 1 to Romans 3. Because there, Paul is, is making a, an argument like a like a lawyer in a courtroom, and he's he's arguing against us, against human beings, um, basically saying that we are We are we are so bad uh, that that if we're trying to make our way to God's kingdom by the law, we're doomed. In fact, he, he sums that up, and you can see it in Romans chapter one, uh, verse. I'm sorry, verse three. I'm sorry, chapter three, verse uh, nineteen and 20 chapter 3 verses 19 and 20 where he writes now we know that whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law and remember he's or you may not remember i'll tell you uh you might think at this point that he's talking just about just just only about jews but he's made the point in romans chapter 2 that the gentiles are also under the law what kind of law are the gentiles under the ones who don't have the bible how are they how are they in any way under the law if they haven't read it before Yeah, well, Paul had said earlier, he's trying to explain this to Jews, who would say, well, the law, which is because we are not justice. But how would the Gentiles know that? Uh, they know it by the things God has revealed to them, it says in chapter 1. Chapter chapter 2, yeah, right, chapter 2, it, it, Paul says, uh, the Gentiles who don't have the law have it written in their hearts. Either they don't have the Bible, they have the law written on their hearts, and their conscience bear, consciences bear witness to it. So, so this is all encompassing here in verse 19. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. That's both Jew and Gentile. Everyone's under the law in some way, shape, or form. And you know this if you know somebody who's not a believer. Uh, even your friend who's not a believer can sometimes feel guilty about something and can know that he or she has done something wrong, even if that person wants to not admit it. Uh, that's the case. So, um, and why is, why is it that um, the law speaks to those under the law so that every mouth may be stopped um, and that's that's, Paul has a, has a frequent, uh, uh well, he talks about boasting a lot, and he thinks it's one of the characteristics of the fallen nature is that we like to boast about ourselves, we like to uh exalt ourselves. What self justification, right? We do that all the time, even as Christians. I think like Christians do that all the time. No, I wasn't wrong about that. Uh, here's why I did this. I have an explanation that will excuse me. Um, so, doing this. The reason I did this bad thing. We do that all the time. Um, but, but the law serves, if you're reading it right, if you're, if you're letting it do its work, the law will shut your mouth. There'll be no more boasting, no more, no more puffing up the chest, no more fluffing the chest. Um, every mouth will be stopped, and the whole world will be held accountable, uh, to God. And now, verse 20 is a kicker. For no by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge mm-hmm. of sin. Okay, let's talk about that word justice, or justification, justify. There's only one word, uh, we have words, we have words that are, uh, um, uh, that we sometimes use to translate one word in Greek that are different. So we have justified, or just, and uh, we have righteous. Um, is another word we might use? Uh... The, um, all of this is one word in Greek, with, uh, but it's in different forms. But it's usually called dikaio form. Dikaio uh, verse with the prefix. That's how you know, D-I-P-A. That's why that's how you know we're talking about righteousness and justice. Um, in Paul, it's almost always used as a law court term, as a forensic term. And um the forensics, you know, forensics is law court. Um, and uh he has in mind um a Jewish court in which the judge, in this case God, um, is passing a verdict on somebody. Um and the uh and uh, we would say if someone's not guilty of something we say they're not guilty, right? We say they're acquitted. Um but in the Jewish system you might say this person is just, this person is, is it's a positive declaration. Um, so it, justification is a process by which God declares a person just. Now just think about a law for a minute. Um, if, if, and I will go to our day. If you are accused of a crime um, and it's found that you actually didn't commit the crime and the, and the, um, and the judge says, okay, uh, you are uh, not guilty, um, does that mean that you as a person, like your inner self, that you're. You no, know, he's, he's talking about your status before the law. That's what he's talking about. Same thing in the Jewish system. When the judge said you're righteous, he's not talking about your inner self or your uh, your uh inner being he's talking about your status. Um, same thing here. So when Paul says um, no human being will be justified in his sight, he's talking about this. So if you're in his sight, um, trying to use the law as a mechanism to say to God, I am, I am one of those just people, I, I, can, I can gain the status of just of being a just person or a righteous person uh, because look at what I've done here, I've done these great things, then Paul says you're, you know, no, one, no one can do that no one will be justified in his sight uh, since through the law comes knowledge of sin um, it just won't happen um, and that then leads to the next thing so, when, so if, if you're where, where Paul says in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So the, the declaration of, of righteousness, the declaration that you are just, that you are, uh, that you're not in the status of a condemned sinner, that has come, but it's come apart from the law. Um, it's, it's, it can be yours, but it's not something you can do. There's nothing you can do. Um, the, uh, it's been manifested apart from the law Although he says the law and the prophets bear witness to it In other words, this isn't a new thing uh, It's not something that I'm not, I'm not giving you a novel idea The manifestation of it Has taken place in time in a new way But the concept, the idea that I'm working with The, the principle is not something that has is just, just breaking upon uh, your minds Without any kind of pretext in in the scriptures, there's, a, there's definitely a thread of your being justified in this way that runs throughout uh, throughout the old covenant. Um, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now, if you know anything about current debates about justification, you know that Hintze uh, Wright, who's an Anglican, um, and some others uh, talk a lot about this idea of justified, uh, I'm sorry, um, The righteousness of God, um, what it is, what it's not. Um, And you'll also know that they many times have problems with this, the righteousness of God through faith, and they'll want to say the righteousness of God uh, by the faithfulness of Jesus. And I want to say, if you're you're thinking about this faith, in this case, it really doesn't matter. It could be translated that that way, but it really doesn't matter uh, because at the end of the verse, you come to the same thing. Let's say we translated it the way some some would like to. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus, I'm sorry, the righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for whom? For all who believe. So if you trust in Jesus, um, then the righteousness of Christ is for you. Or he translated the traditional way as it is here: the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Or you, you, you trust in Jesus Christ, and uh, His righteousness for you who believe. Now, um, this law court imagery is really important because it helps us understand what, what we're talking about here. We're talking about a doctrine of uh, a doctrine that, that has to imputation. Um, the reason you are, you are declared righteous is not because of you, it's because of Jesus. And you take hold of Jesus' righteousness by faith. You trust in him, and then his righteousness is counted by the judge, God, as it is yours. Again, he does make, make fun of this a little bit. He talks about uh, righteousness is like a gas floating from God to you, and thinks it's funny. But that's not really what's happening. What's happening here, according to Paul, is... You're united with Jesus. You, well, that's what faith does. It makes you one with Him. You're, you, you're not. It's not like. Uh, it's not like you're a different person than Him if you believe in Him. You are Him, and He's you. And so, because you're His, all that's His is yours, and all that's yours is His. It's a it's a union thing. So, really, it's God's declaration of Jesus's righteousness that then counts for you because you're in Christ. That's the idea. Questions here? Thoughts? Any? All right, so, um, um, so now let's just go back um, to our, we didn't look at, we didn't even read the article yet. Let me go and read it. Um, article number 11. Uh, we are accounted righteous before God only for the merit of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by faith and not for our own works or deservings. Wherefore, that we are justified by faith only is a most wholesome doctrine, and very full of comfort, as more largely is expressed in the homily of justification. Now, people will say that the um, doctrine that we're working right with here of uh, sola fide, or faith alone. Um, is uh, kind of a man-made thing. You never find the words faith alone together in the Bible, but the, the, uh, Martin Luther did uh, did uh, use that term, and he, but he grounded it in chapter 3, if you still have Romans open, chapter 3, verse 28, where we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So if it's not by works of the law, it's by faith faith alone, that's where he gets the idea. Um, Some have also, like in in verse um, in verse 28, you see that phrase works of the law. Someone tried to say, well that doesn't refer to the the kind of moral law of the Old Testament. That only refers to the ceremonial law. And what Paul's doing here is saying the ceremonial law is done away with and all he's saying is that means Jews and Gentiles can get together. We know that's not the way he means it here. Because if you look up um, if you look at the chapter 3 again Verses uh, 9 through 20 You'll see he's not talking about the ceremonial law He's talking there about us all being unrighteous That there's no one good, not even one That we all fall away That we've all uh, become condemned And then he sums it up in verse 20 with By works of the law no human being should be justified He's not talking about ceremonial law there. He's talking about the whole gamut of the law. Um, so, uh, okay, back to back to the, the, the article. Um, we are accounted righteous before God only for the merits of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What does merit mean? You know what merit? What merit mean? You in Boy Scouts. Do merit badge? Yeah, I, I I only got one merit badge and then I quit because that was I it sounded like too much work to get all that merit. So. <laughs> What? Earned, honor. earned honor, okay. Yeah, that's that's a great, great definition, right? So, um, so then you, the reason you're accounted righteous is righteous before God is only for the honor, the, the earned honor, the earned merit, not of yourself but of Jesus. That is accounted. That's that word "accounted" has the same idea as imputation. It's counted as yours um, by faith. Uh, we talked about faith here, too, where faith is not just, um, uh, I think people kind of turn faith into this kind of effort, this work, really try hard believe, and really it's resting, it's trusting. If you're sitting in a chair, you're having faith in the chair that's holding you up and you're not doing anything, you're just sitting there. Same thing with faith in Jesus Christ, it's resting in him and his work. Um, so, uh, questions here, any, any Yeah. Oh, he's asking about time frame for this. Uh, so, when, when did this, when, did these, when were these articles written and how did that relate to uh, Martin Luther? Martin Luther, remember he nailed the, the 95 theses on the Wittenberg Cathedral door in 1517. Um, he didn't quite articulate sola fide in its full form yet. That probably took another two, three years for him to get there, so 1522. Um Then, these were written in 1579, so we're talking a good space of time between Martin Luther and, and these. Um, but but by then the Reformation was in full full gallop, uh, and I, I, I have to go back and look. I think these are written around the same time frame as the Council of Trent was meeting. They had several sessions, and so um, uh, I have to go back and look, but I think. Part of these were kind of in response to answering um, what the Roman Catholic Church was putting out Uh, So, uh, wherefore that we are justified by faith is only, it's faith alone, is the most wholesome doctrine Wholesome means good, like it does now um, And very full of comfort Um, And what's comforting comforting about about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just, just look over your life for the last week. Consider um, the things that have come out of your mouth or the things you've thought about or the things you've done. And um, if you're one of those people who follows one of those religions who, that, that does indicate you better shape up, if you want to get to heaven like a Mormon, um, you better try your best to be good. Um, and then God will help you. Um, but I know I haven't tried my best to be good. I, yeah, not, I don't do that very often at all. Uh, so it's comforting to know that Christ has done it on our behalf or for us, um, and that we just trust him through his really, great comfort. Uh, any other question here? Martin Luther didn't discover justification by
0: faith in ah. Romans. It was from a minor comment I was trying to find uh-huh. I can't. Well, he's, you're it right is. that he didn't,
1: he did not invent that. I mean, he, I I mean I, and, and it, wasn't, it Paul, Paul, we just read Paul wasn't saying that he invented it. It's in the scriptures in the prophets, in the the law, you see it. Uh, You see it in the, even the Mosaic law. When when God gives, um, when God gives the law, he also gives the tabernacle. Um, When, and so you want forgiveness, you you repent, you turn back and you trust the promises that God gives of forgiveness in those, uh, or at least depicted by those sacrifices. And through that, the, the benefits of the cross are given to you. Um, you see it, in Abraham's life. you know, God uh, promised him a son, and that son, and he would bless the world. Abraham believed in Jesus and was credited, or I'm sorry, in the son that, that God promised, which is Christ, and he was credited with righteousness. Not a righteousness of his own, but a righteousness of his by faith. And that's, what, that's the argument that Paul's going to make. If you want to know more, more about the Old Testament stuff, Paul's going to work through that in, in uh, Romans chapter 4, so I... So just going home and reading about that if you're interested. So yeah, it's not a new thing. Right, Any other questions? Mike, there's a homily there? was a homily? A sermon. A sermon, yeah. We don't, uh, so if you go to some Anglican churches, you hear them talk about homilies. Um, and uh, I don't ever use the word homilies. It conveys the word short. So <laughs> it seems to be short. Um, we don't have homilies here. So uh, Except when an assistant preaches, sometimes we get homilies in. But... Um, but, uh, but no, as, uh, homily is, uh, is um, another word for sermon And uh, when the Reformation first hit England uh, A lot of priests, they, didn't, they, they may have memorized the liturgy for Sunday morning in Latin But some of them didn't even know how to read um, Some of them have, had never preached a sermon because that was not emphasized Sometimes you'd hear preaching, but it wasn't usual, or wasn't always, so you'd go um, to church on Sunday morning and you would just sit there, and there'd be a lot of Latin going on, and um, it'd you largely, you've been taught, you would've been taught in your own language that it's what's going on, and you would've been taught in your own language to look for the host who's elevated, and to, um, and to, Receive grace in that way, they thought. Um, but but you really did not have um, priests uh, preaching through a text of the Bible like like we would do, or or, or preaching on a Sunday morning in a, in a in a regular way through doctrine. And so they so the so the Planner uh, and others began writing these homilies that they would distribute to churches so that priests didn't have to write a sermon. I mean, that would me. And actually, no, that was a great idea. I can... I, would not like that. I would well, not like <laughs> it, but... Um, I was thinking how good it would be the bishop one day. I hope he's not watching, but... Because um, he could just, like, write one sermon and go to church, to church, to church, and, oh, we're going to preach on... Uh, I'm going to change the readings this Sunday to this, and you wouldn't have to write a sermon. But I'm sure our bishop doesn't do that if he's watching. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, right. um, so, yeah, the the... Uh, the homilies were for those priests who didn't know how to write a sermon, didn't, they hadn't themselves maybe been, been very very well versed in doctrine, especially Reformation doctrine, because we basically knew. So they had these, these these sermons they could rotate through and read um, to their congregations. And I think I forget how many there are. Did Jerry, how many homilies are? I was putting you on the spot. But uh, well, um, there were enough, I think, to get through the year. So you could just. Preach through the uh, one year of them and then do and then go around to the next. Then you do it right. Yeah. The problem wasn't that they couldn't serve service. The problem was most of them didn't even know the gospel. That's why when John Bunyan uh, preached the truth, the Anglicans persecuted. Yeah, yeah. Howled. Right. By the Anglicans. By the Anglicans. I know. I know. I know. So you had the. The priests who, I think you're right, a lot of them didn't know the gospel And so that was the major purpose for these homilies: To be able to preach, use them to preach the gospel um, But they also didn't know how to write sermons So, so there's no band, right? So you not either or. uh And yes, um, there, there did come a time when uh, we evil Anglicans persecuted um, the Puritans And the heretics who, who won't baptize babies And uh, we, we forced them out of England and they came here We followed them though um, and they came to America ultimately, and that's why you have a lot of, um, you have a lot of, uh, Anabaptists, or actually Baptists in, in, uh, in America, and why you have a lot of, uh, why like, we've heard Puritan streak in the early parts of our, of our history, and we still have a kind of Puritan, uh, relationship with the moral law, I think, in some ways, in many of our churches. Yes? I was stunned when I went to England to find born and people, to find,
0: Because George of Operation Mobilization always created the uh, wickedness of England. I guess
1: no more than the wickedness of America. Right, right. There, there are some definitely wicked people in England, but there are wicked people in, in America, and America too. And, and I think that uh, I think that the gospel was even when we were chasing other Puritans. It was still you could still find the gospel in Anglican churches in those days. Uh, but. if they, I, I agree that that was probably not a very nice thing to do. Okay. Uh, yes? Why did in America change the of Okay, that's a good question. If you, But if, if you have a lot of Puritans who have escaped England, and then add on top of that um, the Revolutionary War, in which you have English people um, who are trying to invade and, and, and kill the Puritans and the Congregationalists, the Presbyterians, um, and all those people. Um, after the war, then you probably want to change your name, right? Because <laughs> Anglican is associated with, you know, with England. And the, the, before the war, it was just the Church of England. It wasn't Anglican necessarily, just the Church of England. But that word is would be associated with England. And so you change it to the Episcopal Church. You just rename, we renamed our church in accordance with, or they renamed the church in accordance with quality. Uh, how we're we'll run um, to keep thinking necessarily about the king. Um, so, uh, yeah, good. Any other questions here? Oh, okay, 33. So, uh, if, if you if I hit the 33rd Sunday, then you go right back to the first homily on justification, I think it is, and you just do the whole thing again. Um, I think there was a second book added, the second book of homily's book added later where you got some more, but. Um, how would you like that Just same sermon over and over and over and over and over? Because imagine going to, going to church for your whole life, which they did, and hearing the same sermons over and over yeah, but and over. Pastor, we read the same things every Sunday, over and over and over. I know, isn't it great? <laughs> this is, I and mean, we, yeah, so um, if you had the same sermons, if I preach the same 33 sermons over and over again, you would know all those sermons pretty well, and, and the problem with that is I'm not, you know, I'm not God, so you probably get a lot of error mixed in with mixed in with the thing. Um, but the great thing about the liturgy is that it contains a doctrine that we draw from Scripture, and in fact, much of the liturgy, is, much of the liturgy is like praying God's word back to Himself, back to Him, and as you do that, you you are it's like a, it's almost like memorizing the Bible, um, and and you internalize doctrine rather than just um, memorize it. So you can have, if you go to a Presbyterian church, for example, you have to memorize certain catechisms. I mean, not that that's that, it's fine. Um, but our liturgy is designed to do much the same thing, but without the classroom feel. You're actually worshiping God using what he reveals about himself in your worship. So I think it's great to repeat over and over again what we did, uh, yes? I, I was just laughing. At the presumption is you remember your sermon. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I realize that you don't remember my sermons when every once in a while, uh, when a holiday will come up and I'm stressed, I'll pull out an old sermon and I'll read it. And people who have been in church for a long time go, Oh, wow, I've never seen that before. I said it two years ago. <laughs> so, um, so, oh, well. Um, it's probably good that you don't have good memories because I have to do a lot more work. Um, are there are there uh, any other questions about the justification that the doctor uh, does yeah. If justification is taken numerical times, but why don't we have these purposes that are cursed telling us we are doing these paras every day this time or seasons of the year that these parts are So why why are we Oh okay, so I that's interesting. Are you seeing a prayer as like giving are you are you buy the prayer trying to get here's burns yes. you're yes. gonna touch? Okay. okay. Go yeah. And if people are encouraged to pray mm-hmm. now, are they doing this in gain points or I are you know, why do we this. All right. Well, I'll, I'll throw the question back to your part. Uh, when when the evangelist sits down for his quiet time or her quiet time in the morning, is that your points? Point. Okay. No. I mean, I mean, it shouldn't be anyway. Hopefully, it's just because the person wants to relate to God and wants to wants to pray, and uh, so that that's all a prayer gets. It's a, it's helping you relate to God. You're 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 using prayers that are written though, because because often. If I were to sit, sit there by myself with my own words, I would have a hard time coming up with the right thing to say. Um, I would, you know, I just I find it helpful to have have words that are again drawn from God's own revelation to speak back to Him. And again, over time, that changes you as you as you pray them. It's it's a I would put prayer in the category of, of sanctification, not justification. So you're you're praying, how oh, him going to help you, right? To so, Help me be better than I am. Uh, I'm, I'm, already, I'm, already, I'm already justified, but boy, do I need uh, the other step. Um, right? So you're in, in ways God unites Himself with you. Nice you are—we uh, were describing a minute ago imputation, and I didn't want to—I want to make sure that we don't think of it as just a cold legal process, right? Uh, why are why is why is Christ righteous? imputed to you because you're in. You know, and he's in you. You're, you're bound as one. You're, you're uh, It's grounded in that union that's established um, by God. Or also, wouldn't be. And then it would be weird just to have. Then, then T. Wright would be right about talking about this kind of gaseous cloud that flows across the, <laughs> across the, the courtroom to you. Um, but that's not what's happening. We're, we're one. We're bound with him. Um, okay. Any other questions or justification? All right. Let's go on to um, the, the next one, which I don't, I don't know why I have justification printed twice. The next one's uh, twelve um, of good works. So that, that kind of brings up, that kind of goes back to your question, Gary. What about why do we pray? Why do we do anything here? What about good works? Um, albeit that good works, which are the fruits of faith, and follow after justification. Cannot put away our sins, and endure the severity of God's judgment. Yet they are pleasing and acceptable to God in Christ, and do spring out of out necessarily. It's an important thing here of a true and lively faith, insomuch so much by them a, a lively faith may be evidently may be as evidently known as a tree discerned by the fruit. Um, so you go. For That's one of Jesus' very very common. Um, uh, illusions, fruit in a tree. Uh, you, the fruit doesn't make the tree what it is, the fruit just tells you what the, what the tree is. You know by its fruit, this is an apple tree, or this is a, or this mm-hmm. is a dead tree, because it's not having any fruit. Um, you can know what something is um, by uh, by what it produces. Now we gotta be careful here. I mentioned before uh, this, idea of, of fruit checking where you can get to the point where you look at your inner life or you look at your your, your, your own life and you say, um, well, I think I believe in Jesus, but but why did I do that? <laughs> why did I do that yesterday? Why is this going through my head? Because I know that's not good fruit and I'm supposed to be producing good fruit I don't see the good fruit, so maybe I'm going to hell. Uh, the thing to remember then is the promises of Jesus. What did He say? If you believe in Me, you will not die, but you'll live. Do you trust it? That's all. Um, do you trust it? And it's easy. If the answer to that question is yes. And don't. You know, I'm, not, I'm not saying don't worry about that. Yeah, worry about it. Confess it. Ask to' but, but don't don't look at that as as a sign of your damnation by right? means. Um, often, I think that we have a hard time noticing. What God is doing in It's so slow and it's so painstaking and, and it's, it fits and starts. Remember I did that uh, um, American stock market illustration. I mean, maybe you don't remember that, but I'll do it anyway um, Even if you don't, see we kind of, we like to think of sanctification like this I start right early like a bad person and I go up and this is into ever, you know glory glory um, increasingly good, so I look at myself yesterday and I wasn't nearly as good as I am today because it's an upper line, but really, um, it's like this, so, right? So you get this, and that's how the stock market goes. anyway if you steadily, you, you look over the historical period of time, you can see that if you draw a line on the piece, it'll go up, but man, there's some <laughs> there's some crashes um, along the way. And, and that's, all right, so, so if you're here, you start taking an assessment of yourself, right, you might think well i going to hell, okay, so don't do that um, the, 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 the way, the thing you want to look at, the thing you want to trust in it's is Christ, Christ, not you Look to him and not yourself um, I think that's one of the reasons, that's one of the great blessings of the sacraments too Because he attaches his word to the sacrament. so you, you, uh, you He says that his uh, blood is given for the forgiveness of sins you're, You can look to that and trust that that's happening um, as you partake. So, uh, okay, any questions about that um, uh, that idea? We'll talk more about this in a minute. Any questions about what I've said so far? Okay, so let's go and look at, let's see what it does say. So, works are the fruits of faith, and they follow after justification, uh, and they cannot put away our sins or endure the severity of God. Now, this is helpful because there are some people who talk about something called final justification. So you're justified initially by faith, then sanctification begins, where you cooperate with God through through grace, and at the end then, there's, this, there's another measure right here, to see if you really are justified. Um, and in that one, works do play a part. Now a lot of people who teach the final justification thing will say, uh, don't worry, we'll fine, this God will make sure it's okay. He's justified in the first time, he's justified right at the second time. I'm sorry, I've I'd be worried about that. i be worried about that. Uh this article is, is would would with, disagree with that notion. This article would say your works play no part at all in God's declaration that you're that you're justified. No part at all. Even even your posts. Justification works. They don't have any bearing on God's already given declaration. And in fact, what the declaration is is really just a, a declaration now, or the declaration of the end that's been uh, been proleptically, it's a big word, proleptically declared now. So you can rest in the end verdict because you have the now verdict, which is which is really the end verdicts put back in time. Uh, yeah, that's that's a, it's the last and final verdict that you are just pronounced to you now is what is what happens to you today. This is given you the point to know, um, and it rests entirely on the merit of Christ. Entirely merit, of Christ. Um, Yet, yeah, even though our works can't do anything to justify us, they are pleasing and acceptable to God in Christ and do spring out of, a, out, of, out of necessarily, out necessarily of a true life place. Either you're gonna have good works. This, this chart is gonna go up um, as a matter of necessity. And if, if we think about it, union with Christ, we can see why that is too, right? Because now it's not just you churning out products. He's in you, he's with you, he's he's living his life through you. So of course, and you can't help but do uh, do some things different, think some ways differently, uh, act in some ways differently. It's going to happen uh, necessarily. Um, and he's pleased with those things. Like before, what, what, how does Isaiah describe uh, your righteous works before? Guilty rags, right? Uh, does, does that make you feel bad? i trying to do hard Good work. And, <laughs> anyway. um, well, it is apart from Christ, because remember, everything apart from Christ is for the self ultimately. Um, but are comprised, they're no longer fully rags. In fact, you might have a lot of best, you, you do, I do too. You might have a lot of messed up motives and intentions behind the good things you do. Um, but what happens is that? They're there's cleansed. All that remains, all that God sees, is the good of the good, the good thing that you've done. Um, shorn and the pins of its evil. Um, now, in some sense, uh, there are passages that show that say that while our justification doesn't depend on works, it's not grounded in works, uh, our justification is in accordance with works. In other words, there's a, uh, he will, God will be able to discern, discern even though he, he will need to, but he can he identify who were his by the works they perform, and there will be kind of a, a judgment for us that will give us rewards on the basis of those, of those of those works. Um, the reason God will be able to say, That's mine, that sheep of bear is mine, that's not my goat, um, is because remember the goats don't do any good works at all. Everything they do is still be rabbits. The sheep have some. <laughs> not a whole bunch, but you have some. So the good inherit eternal life, and the wicked no. So, when you see passages talk about the righteous inheriting eternal, you can think of it in two ways. One, uh, of course, Christ's righteousness. That's the basis of it, that's the grounding of it. But also, the only people who are there who actually have done good works because Christ is living in them and producing those good works and cleansing out the bad motives and tangled weaves, the webs that are well around the uh, good works that we do. They're all cleansed. Okay? Um, so, that's, that's kind of motivation, isn't it? I mean, if I, um, I don't have to sit there and, no, oh, I shouldn't do that because my motives are wrong here. I shouldn't go in and help that person because I feel uh, like I'm trying to do it for a reward or I'm doing it for the wrong reason. No, just help. God will take care of that. Do the good thing. Do the good thing. Good thing. Uh, we were saying before, another illustration I used. Uh, if, you're, if you're seeing, if you know how to swim, and no one else knows how to swim, and you pass by a lake and you see a guy drowning, right, and you say, well, I want to save that guy, but if I do, I'll get a lot of credit for it. I mean, I don't guy Jesus has nothing to do with good works in front of men so um to be seen by him. So I I just won't go help that guy because I don't wanna I don't wanna pop out my pride. No, go you might be uh, celebrated as a hero and be articles in the paper written about you, um and you might get a big head, um, but still you should save the guy who gives you honor because because that's what God did. Um okay, questions about this? Anything I've said so far. Yeah. What's it? Where did you say that? You're right, you're right. James. Right. Yes, you're right, it's, it's James, so that's good. I'm glad you brought that up because, um, and of course we only have about like two minutes left so I can completely explain to you the difference between what James is doing. Oh no, wait, we have 15 minutes. I was thinking of uh, the eight o'clock. Oh, this is the I was, I thought, we have 15 minutes, so you brought that question right at the right time. Uh, let's go ahead and, and, uh, and notice the difference between, or what seems like, Contradiction, even, between what James says and what Paul has said. So let's turn to James chapter 2. If you have your Bible in your Romans 3, keep it there, but or keep a finger there. Um, but then we go to James chapter 2. All right, so let's, let's pick up there in verse 14. I'll read that whole section, and well, I think we'll hit the part we're talking about. Um, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but that does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, and it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? There there you go. We got it. by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Okay, so we have two, two words here that we really want to think about, and want to think about how James kind of using them. First we say, see you talked about it. Paul and Paul used it. The second one is Jessica. justification. Now remember, I said Paul always uses that word, or not always, but most of the time he uses that word in a forensic way, a law court way. He's talking about how God will declare you to be, to be righteous. There's not the only way you can use it there. Um, you can use it in the sense of vindicating, Indication. Um, so, uh, when Jesus is talking about speech, for example, he uses it that way. Um, and Jesus and John, Jesus and James had a title; they were you know, brothers, uh, uh Jesus talks about how um, by what you say will condemn you, and what you say will justify you. He's talking about evil lies in the heart, and the, or, the, or the good lies in the heart, um, and he's saying the words and by there, by there, will, will vindicate you if they're if they're good, like if, if, if he's almost a fruit and a, a tree the tree and fruit and here, When you, when you when the good words that come out of your mouth vindicate your status. They don't make you good. They vindicate that there's something going on there that's good. Right, that's, that's what Jesus pointed not in which text it is. But he uses justification there, and he uses it in this vindication, way, that shows that really uh, uh, you have had a changed heart, you have had a changed mind, you really are a different person, because you're very, very happy proof. Okay. So I'm gonna suggest this is the way that, that, that uh, James is using to justify in, in James chapter two. Secondly, I think the way he's using faith isn't the way that Paul uses faith. Um, You see the same thing in our language, right? Sometimes people say, uh, in fact, I have an old Roman Catholic guy who comes to his Bible study. He says, all I have to do is believe that Jesus rose from the dead and then I go to heaven. That's a free ticket to heaven. Um, He's like 70, he's like 80-something. He's he's raised over Catholic. So he, he, he really thinks what we're saying is that you just buy into the notion, you kind of agree that that Jesus is Lord and that he rose from the dead and he forgives sin. And just by that kind of cognitive knowledge that you got go to assess the suit, you go into the fires, ask the fire of God's judgment, and you're safe because you, you have this head belief. Um, that's not what Paul means, is it? What I'm used to you go what Paul means? He means you, you, you rest, you trust in Jesus with your whole self. That you like you're sitting. I mentioned a minute ago. Like you're sitting in your chair right now. You're trusting that chair. You're you're not you're not holding it up. You're not trying to. You're resting in it. That's what Paul means. Um, And and faith, and its moral means you have an you have an knowledge of the truth. You you agree the truth is true. But then you also rest and trust in the truth. So that's that's that. that The reason we can one reason we can say that uh, James is using that understanding of faith. I'm sorry, not Paul's to the, the, the first one, the kind of cognitive idea, uh, is because of the illustrations here. Think of the, think of the illustration of, uh, of the demons. Um, so the demons have the right idea. They know God is, is, right? They, they understand who the belief that, that he exists. Uh, I think we could probably even further with that. I think that the demons know that the Bible is true. I think say the demons know they believe that Jesus died, rose from the dead, died died for sinners, lived the perfect life. All the stuff that we say that the Bible says about Jesus, I think the the demons believe that. Um, But do they have faith? No, they don't have faith. They they don't trust in Yahweh or God like like one would do to be justified. So because they're not, they don't have that, they don't have any union with God, they don't have any, because they don't have a union with God, their, their little dark demonic hearts are shriveled, um, and they're not gonna get any better. So you see that, um, go up to the first no, illustration, the, the, uh, well, good is my brothers that someone has says, he has faith, but does not have works. But if he has says, yeah, I believe, but you don't, there's nothing flowing out of that. The brother or sister is poorly clothed, and lacking in daily food, and when he says to them, hey, go in peace, be warm, be filled, without giving the things needed for the body, what good is that? So the illustration is not, hey, you need to be justified, you need to give the poor. The illustration is, what, is it, what does that guy really mean when he says, be clothed, be fed? Uh, he, this is his words, right? He's not, he doesn't really care, he's be really cared even. even something. You would get up and give the guy some bread, (laughs) and feed the guy. You're just saying, "Hey, be warm, brother." Um, Those are just just words. Um, So you have another example here of um, yeah. Maybe maybe the guy really wishes, "Hey, guy, it'd be really nice if that guy had some clothes." But there's not a real, a real uh, desire to to do, um, to help, right? So, um, those, are those two examples show that I think that, that James does have in mind... Oh, you can't read my writing anyway, so I don't know why I need it. Um, those two examples show that James has in mind a, a uh, just a head faith there, that does not justify. And that's why he can say um, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That's how you can tell. Uh goes back to the fruit-checking thing, so use your cautions there, but that's how you can tell, is when, when they say, I believe in God, which is, I believe in Jesus, whether or not that's true or not. Um, because is, is that spoken, is that word just there or not? Um, so you can say yourself, like, do I uh, do I truly have faith or not? Um, do I truly believe? Uh, so, so when you get down to Abraham, um, the scripture was fulfilled that says, God believed, Abraham believed God of his kind and his righteousness. And how was it fulfilled? Because he bore fruit. Um, he was vindicated by his willingness to offer his son uh, to death. That was an act that showed that, yes, that truly was genuine faith that Abraham had. Um, so, in that context, when James then says, Well, one is not justified by faith alone we know that he's not talking about the kind of faith that Paul is talking about and we know that he's not talking about the kind of justification um, that Paul is talking about. It's the same words, different meaning. Um, just like we would do sometimes. We, uh, you know, actually justified has a range of meaning in English, too, doesn't it? That um, uh, we can say, I'm justified before God um, by my faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, but let's say I think, I say, well, I'm the best, you know, ping player here, right, um, and then I have all the kids line up, and I keep on, and if I win, then I'm vindicated, I'm justified, right? my claim is justified. Uh, it shows, it's shown to be true. Uh, if I lose, then I'm condemned yeah, And I'm not shown to be true, I'm mean, going to lose something to, to that bet. Okay, does that, make, does that answer your question? It was a long answer, but I thought that could help you Okay, (laughs) with that passage. Okay, Uh, any any other questions or or thoughts here? Okay. Um, So of good works, good works are always flow out of justification, but they're not justifying themselves. Let's see. We have five minutes. Let me try to get this last article at least read and dealt with. This we've already kind of mentioned this. Question of works. What about the works before you're justified? Well, here, here we have that spelled out. Works done before the grace of Christ and the inspiration of His Spirit are not pleasant to God. For as much as they spring not of faith in Jesus Christ, neither do they make men meet to receive grace, or as the school authors say, deserve grace of congruity. Yea, rather for that they are not done as God hath willed and commanded them to be done, we doubt not whether they have the nature of sin. Okay, so this probably does need some background here. So there, who are these school authors? You know, they're writing textbooks, and putting whatever, who do you think the school authors were, anyone right know. Yeah, the scholastics. Uh, uh, these were you know, high, late middle ages, uh, theologians, who I think, and I think the performers would say, by by the time the Middle Ages reached its, the point where it was about to bleed over to the Reformation, um, had in many ways just lost sight of grace. Uh, Not, read the writings, you'll find them talking about grace all the time, and the necessity of grace, don't get me wrong, but, but, their understanding of grace was attenuated, I would I would suggest by that time. So we're on the point yeah. What would be some names of um right? Thomas Aquinas. What? Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Now I would say he's much better than the later Middle Ages guys. So Dun Scotus, anyone SCOTUS? Uh um, huh? Peter Lombard. Uh, Avalar, yeah. So Aquinas was probably the, the the guy who who started it all off uh, in the 12th century. Um, but then by the time it gets to the 1500s, you got it. it's been that 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 fruit is not absent. Um, it's just it's just different. Um, and I think even Aquinas would have admitted well, who Come it. So, the, the question that, they, that a lot of them were dealing with is what could kind a of person do apart from grace, if anything? Um, and there were some who taught um, that that while you can't ever gain regeneration or justification by yourself, you have to ask me by grace. No one, no one denied that. Before grace comes, though, you might prepare for it. Someone might, might uh you by uh, good works, in some ways, shape his soul or his heart toward to make it fit more with with the with the reception of grace. Do you know how many get together? Um, that's right. You You're smiling, right? Is this some huge thing? Okay. Okay. Um, so I know you you've read a lot more on this, and I have on least I know, think I, I think you have in this this era. I think, but um, but anyway. So the. the being able to mold yourself in some way to receive the grace that comes is something that some late medieval scholastics said that you um, that you could do. And if that's the case, then there were works before justification that were, in some way, meritorious. They're not meritorious to justification or salvation, none of that, but they're meritorious of receiving the grace that would lead to uh, justification. Uh, so, in that sense, they had, and they, I, I they gotta be careful, I don't wanna really be too, I uh, don't wanna really be too, I don't wanna say too much, I to a bad, wrong image in your head, but um, in that way, they were very close to what the semi Pelagian position. See I yellow? Because so you can read that as easy as you can read the, the blue anyway, so, uh, semi Pelagianism. We talked about plagianism, I think, last week, but semi plagianism is, is, is the idea that, yes, you need grace, and like, just you didn't need grace at all, you need grace, but you can also have little pre-steps toward God before grace comes along, and so, by the late Middle Ages, you kind of got back to that place. Um, interestingly, the, the Roman Catholic Church corrected that, in the, the Trent. They, they, well, there's an argument about it, but Roman Catholics, some would say, they corrected that idea, and so they no longer have this notion um, that you can prepare yourself, um, at least doctrinally. I think if you ask Pope Francis, he might say, oh, sure, you wouldn't do it." But, but but Trent would say, uh, yeah. So this doc, this doc, that's that's a historical background. Um, but the the biblical issue at stake is what we what we we mentioned earlier, um, Isaiah sixty four six. The, uh, yeah, uh, the, our, even our righteous deeds Are filthy rags Before God Apart from Christ uh, I use this analogy I'll keep using it Because I think it's the best one But you, the reason it works The reason that's the case um, Is because we we kind of we sometimes get the idea that of a, a, a good work is kind of a, a payment to God, some kind of token to earn earn something. And so, hey, if I'm giving I'm doing the if I'm giving you the tokens, yeah, doesn't he doesn't why isn't he okay? So I don't love him, but hey, I'm helping this poor guy out, right? So that that should give me a token or something. I right? should get a I should get that should make him happy. What's wrong with him? But it's a lot more it's a lot different when you think in personal terms. Um if if you if you hate Aiden or Rowan and yet you and I invite you over dinner and you say, I'll come to your house, but I don't want to see your son. You get in my I don't want to see him. Well then you came to my friend. Well, what if I come from a million I don't care. <laughs> I'll wash your car. Okay. Well, I, I don't care. Um, I will give you money. I don't care if you hate my son. We're not friends. <laughs> and in fact, you trying to buy me off by watering my, washing my car, and like my lawn is make me more angry. Because I, 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 I'd rather have you just be. I, I want you to stop treating my son that way. You see how that works. I mean, you're putting yourself in a Father's position. You can see why if you reject Jesus. It doesn't matter how good you are and other things. He's he's not pleased. Uh, you're not coming to his house for dinner. He's, he's going to shut the door in your face. But if you if you love his son, then then wow, a lot. If you love my kid family, if you love me, um, and you know you're, you're you, just, you you just keep annoying me. You keep. <laughs> You keep uh I don't know doing that thing you always do that just driving me nuts. We can still be friends. You can still come over to my house. Uh it's okay because because there's a relationship established there. That's gonna mean I'm gonna forgive you. Um and I'm I'm cold and my heart is like this small and dark and and bitter and hard. What about God? His like God is he's, he's, he his love, right? So you can annoy him all the time. You can you, you can, no, I'm not saying you can but if you do annoy him and, right, well, yeah, I don't think he gets annoyed, but if you continue to do that thing that, that you know uh, he is not pleased with and you uh, never get over that habit that you have that you know you should get over, you're still gonna go to his house for dinner when you die, because you love his son. And, and that's, um, that's how he is, that's how he works. So I'll we'll come back to this article uh, next next week.